Hello, I'm Alec, and this is Scandal 101. I recently got into the world of Reddit, and let me tell you, people on there, they're not afraid to share things. (laughs) I've been asking for people's personal scandals on there as well, or family secrets or different things, and I've gotten some good ones, so between that and the email, I am very excited to share some of those with you. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world as per usual. There's a lot of stuff going on with Netflix that I've seen in the news recently. Uh, I can't gather my thoughts, but yeah, Netflix is definitely the biggest scandal I've seen in the news recently. I haven't read up on it as much as I should be caught up with it, so that will be my personal project (laughs) for the week since my testing is done, so I have more time to do things now, which is very exciting. This scandal is definitely going to be a little more, or it's going to be a little less heavy. Well, it's going to be a lot less heavy than last week's episode. There are some bummer moments in this episode, but overall, I think this is going to be a interesting episode and fun episode to listen to. I had a lot of fun researching it. Normally I like researching things and I didn't think I was going to be interested in this topic at first, but once I started researching it, I just kept doing it until I was done. And then I looked up and like two and a half to three hours had passed. I titled this episode, Deadly Surprise, The Truth Behind the Halloween Candy Tampering. Every year, it seems like there's always something on the news, on social media, things going around. Parents, check your kid's Halloween candy. There could be poisonous things in there. There could be dangerous things in there. So when I started researching it, I was like, what is the big deal? Like, is this really a thing that happens? Is it, what's, you know, you hear about it every year, but it seems like you never hear about bad things happening. So I wanted to look in into it and see what has actually happened related to it. So in terms of poisoning of candy, quote-unquote poisoning, we start in the year of 1959. For this first part of the episode, I got my information from Steve Silverman's article titled The Trick-or-Treat Dentist. This takes place on October 31st, so Halloween in 1959. Kids are out trick-or-treating, they're dressed up in their costumes, everyone's having a good time, it's a California nice October night, things are just going well. Also, before I dive too much into this, the reason I'm releasing this episode this Friday and not next Friday is because when I was growing up, we would never we would never trick or treat on Halloween. We would always trick or treat. I think it was like the Tuesday before Halloween or something weird like that, and it was always a weeknight and it was always I think it was always a Tuesday for where I lived. So, like, does your area actually trick-or-treat on Halloween, or does it go on a weird night? Because I've told some of my friends about it, or some people that I've met, and they're like, you go trick-or-treating not on Halloween? And I was like, you go trick-or-treating on Halloween? Small tangent, but I don't think I've 
ever gone trick-or-treating on Halloween because of the area that I grew up in. It was always like, let's go the Tuesday before Halloween. Who cares if it's the 25th of October? You can go trick-or-treating then. Have fun, kids. <laughs> okay, so kids are out. They're having a good time. But as they come home, parents are starting to become a little worried when they find, quote, little heart-shaped sugar-coated white pills at the bottom of the treat bags, end quote. There was initially some suspicion as to what house these pills were coming from, but before they, before the parents called the police, they wanted to do their own little investigation. They were trying to get to the bottom of it so that way they knew exactly what was going on. So what parents did is they gathered a couple of older kids and they sent them up to 4844 Norris Road with empty bags. When the kids came back from the house, the kids returned and in the bags they found lollipops and more pills. So after the older kids came back, the police were called and multiple complaints were filed. Officers went to the home of Dr. Shine. Dr. Shine, he was a well-respected dentist in the area who had a very successful practice. And when police initially talked to him, he denied any involvement. Later on, laboratory tests determined that the pills were in fact not candy, surprise surprise, but they were aloe pills which were mainly used as laxatives at the time. Luckily, they weren't something worse than a laxative, but I mean still, you don't want to be getting laxatives in your Halloween candy if you're not expecting it. Maybe if you're going to go visit your GI doctor, you'd be like, hey, can you hook me up with some laxatives? And maybe he's got some. But if you're just a kid going to get some candy, some M&Ms or whatever candy was there in the 50s, I would be kind of disappointed if I had received some laxatives <laughs> instead of my yummy M&Ms. Fortunately, the pills weren't anything worse than laxatives, but also, fortunately, the pills apparently had a bitter taste, so when the kids who tried to eat them put them in their mouth, they were immediately disgusted and spit them out. So really not many kids actually ingested the pills, and the ones who did, there were only four kids reported to suffer from stomach cramps and vomiting, which obviously you don't want your kid to get sick from anything, but four kids getting stomach cramps and vomiting, I mean, it could have been a lot worse is I don't want to like you get what I'm saying I'm not trying to undermine what happened but it could have been a lot worse although Dr. Shine denied any involvement he was gone within 24 hours of the incident happening now he was wanted for two misdemeanor charges he was wanted for unlawfully dispensing a drug as well as outraging the public decency and endangering the health of children if he was found guilty he would he could face up to one year in jail and then up to a $1,000 fine. So this happened, like I said, on Halloween, October 31st. On November 5th, he was still nowhere to be found. However, on November 4th, police arrested Hazel Engelby, a nurse work who worked at Livermore Veterans Hospital. She was a good friend of Dr. Shine, and she ended up receiving the same charges as Dr. Shine because what the laboratory realized when they tested those pills is that they were from a manufacturer, so they were not homemade pills, so they had to come from someone who had access to that many pills because when they searched his house, I believe it, he had like tons and 
and tons of pills. And when they searched the neighbors' homes, they had like a small amount. It would not have been enough to hand out all of the pills. So I think what the police were thinking is that this woman, Hazel, was the supplier and Dr. Uh, Shine, he was handing out the pills as Halloween candy. Weird, why don't you just hand out some Skittles or whatever, <laughs> but... So after Hazel is arrested, police get a call from a woman saying that her husband is on a hunting trip with Dr. Shine and the, the, and the hunting trip had been planned for a while. So police start to realize, okay, maybe he didn't know that he had these charges against him. And then the police also say that since the charges are misdemeanor charges, they can't go out of state to extradite him back to California. This hunting trip that he was on was taking place in Idaho. Eventually, Dr. Shine comes back. He makes it back to California on November 11th and he surrenders himself to the police. He didn't make any comments when he returned, but he was quickly released on bail. Later, and this did go to trial, so later at trial, he tried to fight against the charges. On November 25th, the charges were amended and the phrase, quote, menacing public health, end quote, was removed because no one had been severely injured. Eventually, the charge of illegally dispensing drugs was dropped. I couldn't really find a good reason as to why that was dropped, but that charge was dropped. So after it was dropped, the only charge that was left was the outraging public decency charge. He eventually waived his right to a trial and he was found guilty of the outraging public decency charge. He was sentenced to six months behind bars and a $500 fine. Hazel's charges were dropped as a part of Dr. Shine pleading guilty and she was set free so she never had to face any punishment for any involvement if she had any with this whole thing. After Dr. Shine's punishment, he had to face the State Board of Dental Examiners because, as a reminder, he's a very successful dentist who is dealing a lot with children, probably, I would assume. He, he has a duty to conduct himself in a way that is not handing out laxatives on Halloween. <laughs> so he had to face the board and he was put on two years probation from the State Board of Dental Examiners. Later on in the 1960s, so again, this incident all happened in 1959. So later on in the 1960s, he had two run-ins with the law for different counts of insurance fraud. Other than that, he kind of lived a quiet life, and from what I could find, he lived until 2007. So he lived until he was kind of old, like I think it's just in his 80s is what the article said he lived to. So that is kind of the first incident of quote-unquote poisoning Halloween candy or tampering with Halloween candy that I could find, at least in the United States. That's the first big incident that is talked about. The next incident comes out of New York in 1964, and my information from this part comes from a New York Times article that was published on November 2nd, 1964 about the incident. Trick-or-treaters in Long Island in 1964, so again on Halloween, October 31st, they were surprised to find in their bag not candy, but rather, quote, packages of ant buttons, steel wool pads, and dog biscuits, <laughs> end quote, and those were wrapped in aluminum foil. Ant buttons were used to kill, quote, ants, roaches, flies, and other insects and mice. They are marked with a skull and crossbones and are labeled poison. Keep away from children and animals, end quote. So they're pretty, they're very clearly marked. There's no way you could confuse an ant button with 
a Reese's peanut butter cup or something like that. Like it says poison on it. So you should know not to hand that out. Police investigate and then they report eventually that Mrs. Feel, who is the name of the lovely distributor, had handed out 12 ant buttons. Her husband said that she had handed out those packages, quote unquote, the aluminum foil wrapped packages. She had only given them out to the older kids and she had told the older kids that it was a joke. Her husband and her two sons were out trick-or-treating at the time, so she was home alone handing out these goodie packages, I guess you could call them. They had dog biscuits and buttons, and what else did I say they had in them? They, they also had uh, uh, steel wool pads. You know what I think? I think she was just trying, she was like, hey, older kids, I bet your parents are super stressed right now. I know that a lot of people have been dealing with ant problems. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help out your parents. I'm going to give you an ant button. I'm going to give you some steel wool pads because you know what? You can never be too clean on that kitchen floor. And you know what else? I know you've got a dog. I bet little trouser, trouser. <laughs> I bet little, what's a dog's name? I bet little Rufus is going to love a, a dog treat. I bet she was just trying to be helpful or, or maybe not. Who knows? She was arrested and at her arraignment, she was committed to a hospital for examination. At this trial, she said that she had not meant anything malicious, but the judge at the arraignment said, quote, It is hard for me to understand how any woman with sense or reason could give this to a child, end quote. No one was hurt from this, but she did plead guilty to child endangerment, and from what I could find, she was sentenced to two years. So those first two incidents are a little more light-hearted, I guess. No one was really severely hurt, and on the second one, no one was hurt at all. But this one, this third one here, is probably the most famous Halloween tampering incident, and it actually did result in a death, unfortunately. The most famous event related to Halloween candy tampering comes out of Deer Park, Texas in 1974, and Deer Park is a suburb of Houston. And this information comes from Crystal Ponte's article titled The Haunting Legacy of Ronald Clark O'Brien, The Man Who Killed Halloween. Ronald, he was married, he had two kids named Timothy and Elizabeth. He was an optician, so you know him, going to his daily grind, working on people's glasses and all that good stuff. He was also a deacon at a Baptist church. He sang in the choir, and he oversaw the bus program for the church. So from the outside, he is seeming like he's a family man, he goes to church, the stereotypical quote-unquote good characteristics you want to see in a person. Unfortunately, all was not as perfect as it may have seemed. He had been employed by 21 different companies over the past 10 years, and he was fired for various reasons such as fraudulent behavior or negligence. So he could not hold down a job. 21 jobs in 10 years, that's like a new job every six months. Every, why, what, bloop? That is like a new job. <laughs> oh boy, that is like a new job every six months and then getting fired every six months, so some uh, something's not something's not going well in the fall of 1974 the year that this incident took place his employer had fired him for allegedly stealing money so just another failed job for ronald his salary at the time 
before he had gotten fired was barely covering the bare necessities. He had defaulted on several bank loans, the car was about to be repossessed, and he was more than $100,000 in debt. And I just looked it up. That amount is about over half a million dollars today. So he had a lot, a lot of debt going on. October 31st, Halloween, 1974. Ronald was eager to take his kids out trick-or-treating, and I know what you're thinking. I bet he just wanted to get his mind off of things. This guy's going through a lot. I appreciate your positive thoughts. So he, his kids, and a, a family, a, a neighborhood family had joined, joined up together for the night. They went up to one house eventually, but no one had answered, so everyone moved on, but Ronald stayed back for a minute. And then just like a minute later, he ran back up to the group and said that the family that they had just knocked on the door of, they were actually home. They just took a little longer to get to the door. They were handing out big king-size things of candy. Those houses, okay, those houses were the best <laughs> going trick-or-treating when I did on October 25th, not Halloween. Those houses were the best to go to the king-size candy. If you hand out king-size candy on Halloween, you have my heart. So Ronald comes up and he's like, hey, you know, they told me to give these this candy to you. They were really sorry they took a while to get to the door, but here you go. And the kids are like, heck yeah, king-size candy, that's awesome. What Ronald had given them was he had a total of five big king-size pixie sticks and he had like one for each of the kids so he gave one to each of the kids and they continued on uh trick-or-treating like just normal night going on trick-or-treating michael segalov's reporting for vice states that timothy who was ronald's son was allowed to have one piece of candy before going to bed so after they had gotten home that night i'm sure timothy was like i want to eat all this candy brah like most kids are on halloween and his dad was like nope you can have one piece of candy so of course, he's going to choose the biggest piece of candy, which is the giant pixie stick. Timothy was getting frustrated when he was trying to open it because the powder was like stuck in the tube. You know how sometimes with pixie sticks, like you have to almost like break the tube in a couple of spots, kind of like a glow stick to get the sugar loose. So that was kind of what was happening. So Timothy's dad, Ronald, helped him get it and Timothy started to eat the candy. Timothy, after tasting it, he was like, eh, this is kind of bitter. I don't know if I really like it. And so Ronald was like, okay, like no problem. Here's a glass of Kool-Aid to wash down the bad taste. Let's get you ready for bed. Going back to Pontini's article, shortly after eating the candy, Ronald said that he heard Timothy say, quote, daddy, daddy, my stomach hurts, end quote. Timothy was in the bathroom, he was vomiting, he was gasping for air, he was convulsing, and then all of a sudden, he went limp. From the time he ate the pixie stick until the time he died, less than one hour had passed. So of course, Ronald calls the ambulance, but unfortunately, it's too late. Timothy is already dead. Timothy's body goes to the medical examiner, and the medical examiner was hit with a smell that you would not expect to smell in a morgue. Any guesses as to what it is? It was almonds. And if you guessed it, I am so proud of you because as a hardcore true crime fan, you will likely know that almond, the smell of almond is a classic sign of cyanide poisoning. And the medical examiner knew that at the time as well. It later came out that Timothy had consumed enough cyanide to kill two to three grown men. 
Luckily, police were able to track down the other pixie sticks that those kids have, and none of those had been consumed, thank goodness. So unfortunately, Timothy did die, but luckily the police were able to intervene and prevent future harm from happening. And when police investigated the other pixie sticks that those kids have, each of them were packed with about two to three inches of cyanide. So of course, police start investigating, and the first place you look is the family. They look at Ronald, and they start to learn about his financial troubles. They also learn that he had contacted several chemical companies on where to buy cyanide, and he had even, quote, jokingly asked how much it would take to kill a person, end quote. He was also apparently taking community college classes and would ask his professor about which would be more deadly, cyanide or something else. So he's definitely not the smartest person in the books, <laughs> we can just say that. And then when police search Ronald's home after getting probable cause to go in there, they find a pocket knife with residue of candy on it, and the police assume that that is how he removed some of the candy from the actual pixie stick and then put in the cyanide poisoning. So he was arrested and he was taken to trial. Segalov's reporting stated that Ronald uh, originally entered a not guilty plea. Even though he did this, many people testified against him and it took the jury only 46 minutes to find him guilty of one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. He was sentenced to die by the electric chair. Going back to Pontini's reporting, um, he had appealed many times, but all of them were denied, and he eventually he died by lethal injection on March 31st, 1984. From Murderpedia, which is an amazing site if you're a true crime fan, this isn't a true crime podcast, but go look at it if you like true crime, it had his last statement on there, and I'm just going to read part of it, um, just because it was kind of interesting. Quote, what is about to transpire in a few moments is wrong. However, we as human beings do make mistakes and errors. This execution is one of those wrongs. Therefore, I would forgive all who have taken part in any way in my death. End quote. And then he goes on to like talk about how he loves his family and whatnot, and then he dies. So why did he do it? From Pontini's article, police found that Ronald had taken out multiple life insurance policies on his children. When they were searching his house, they found a piece of paper from an adding machine, and he had totaled up all of his bills, his loans, all of that stuff, and that amount was almost the exact same amount as to what he would collect from the insurance payouts of his children dying. So he murdered his son for an insurance payout. That's the worst. Okay, so we've had laxatives given out as Halloween candy, we've had ant buttons handed out as Halloween candy, and we unfortunately did have someone give out cyanide poisoning to his son and presumably his son's friends. So what else is there? That's really it for Halloween candy poisonings. However, the fear has stuck around for a long time. It's still around and it's just taking new forms. A History.com article by Aaron Blakemore recalls an incident when a seven-year-old in California collapsed while trick-or-treating in the year 1990. All of the candy in Santa Monica was taken by the police, but upon further examination, it was discovered that she had a heart murmur and had no signs of poisoning. And that's kind of where it ends on poisoning. There's really not a lot of 
confirmed incidents as to people trying to poison candy. There's a lot of things that are like, ah, oh, my kid collapsed, my kid got sick, they were poisoned. And what it always turns out to be is either an unknown medical condition or honestly the kid just eating too much candy and getting sick. So that's really it for Halloween candy poisonings. And so the next area we move into are the classic of razors, needles, other dangerous things found in the candy. What about that? There's really not a lot to those fears as well. Adam Miller's reporting for CBC News reports on an incident in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where a 49-year-old man put needles and chocolate bars. There was one kid that was injured after biting into the needle, but it was a very minor wound and he did not need medical attention. And then later, James Smith, who was the 49-year-old, was deemed unfit to stand trial and he was committed to a mental health facility. And then from Megan Almond's reporting in WKYC, in 2018, an 11-year-old, I will say that again, an 11-year-old was charged with putting needles in candy to distribute on Halloween. A 12-year-old was reportedly injured from one of the needles that he had bitten into in a Snickers bar, and it was, it was reported that the 11-year-old had stuck the needles through the candy wrapper to, like, hide it better so it would have been really difficult to see. It's not a clear wrapper, it's in the candy bar. And again, that was an 11 year old that did that. Like, that's crazy to me. I couldn't find an update as to what happened to the 11 year old, which makes sense because they were a minor at the time and still would be a minor today, so it makes sense why there's no update. And then every year it seems like there are always claims of people finding needles in their kids candy. However, Almost all of them are unconfirmed and they never result in anything. My guess, honestly, is that they are coming from bored parents and families who want their 10 minutes of fame on the local news because if there was this actual problem of people putting needles in candy maliciously doing it, there would be a lot more coverage on it. But honestly, I think it's just people who are bored and they want their 10 minutes of fame because they don't really have a lot else going on in their life. So they're like, what could I do to make my life a little less boring right now? Oh, I know. Everyone's afraid of getting Halloween candy that's been tampered with. What if I say my kid found Halloween candy in their bag that was tampered with? I think, in my opinion, that's, that's what's going on with the majority of those claims. And then razor blades. What about razor blades? Janelle Griffith's reporting for NBC News in 2019 reports about a man who was arrested in Connecticut for distributing razor blades. To be clear, they were like full razor blades, like that would go on a razor, like a razor head. It wasn't like he stuck razor blades in candy or anything like that. It was just razor blades. The man, Jason Rax, he said that, oh, they must have spilled into the candy bowl, but he didn't have an explanation as to how that would have happened. And then later when the police searched the home, they found that a three-year-old who lived there had access to a box of razor blades. So it, that incident kind of sounds like a very negligent parent and maybe someone who was wanting to do harm or maybe someone who was, I don't know what he was wanting to do, but that's really it. Like, there's not a lot to the whole Halloween candy tampering thing. It's just a big myth. Has it happened before? Yes. Can it happen? Absolutely. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it really doesn't happen. And it's, it's mind-boggling to me how this fear has persisted 
throughout time. The last thing I want to mention before I get to like reading some scandals is that I've that I saw on Twitter a couple of weeks ago a police department was warning people about how different weed gummy packaging looks like candy, looks like snacks, etc. And from the pictures that they tweeted and I just looked some up, like there definitely are weed gummy packages that look a lot like candy wrappers and like candy packaging. Here's what I have to say about that. If you honestly think that people are going to go spend money on weed and then give it out for free to children, (laughs) I would just urge you to do the cost benefit analysis of this and determine for yourself how likely that is because I'm not thinking that's going to happen when you do the cost benefit analysis of that. And then I just want to do like one PSA before I start reading these personal scandals. If you are someone who is wanting to take caution, take caution if you are going to be driving or if like your friend is going to drive your kids or if you're going to let your kids go like walk to a neighborhood. Be more cautious about the driving than anything else. Like if you want to check the candy, go check the candy. Like I'm not telling you not to. Probably nothing is going to happen, but be more worried about the driving because From the U.S. Department of Transportation, between 2015 and 2019, between 6 p.m. on October 31st and 6 a.m. on November 1st, so a period of 12 hours, 126 people were killed in drunk driving crashes on Halloween between those times. So if anything, I would urge you to take caution when driving places or if your friend or friends are driving places, or even if you're not going to go trick-or-treating but you just want to go somewhere, be careful out driving on Halloween night or any of the nights around Halloween. Just be careful because I think honestly that is going to be the most likely cause of injury. So if you take anything away from this episode besides kind of how ridiculous the poisoned candy rumors myths are, take that piece of advice. Be careful if you're going to be out driving on Halloween. Have fun of course, but be careful. Okay, so on Reddit, like I said, I'd gotten into Reddit. I never had Reddit before. Reddit is the best. If you don't have Reddit, I highly recommend it. I've been asking different questions over the past couple of days. One of the questions I asked is, what is the most scandalous thing slash event from your family? And I'm going to read two of them. One person said that their great uncle kidnapped a child from an Alaskan native tribe and raised him as his own. The kid learned the truth when he turned 18 and he went to his true family to meet them. He's in his 40s now, not sure of the relationship with his tribe or my great uncle today. Um, to your great uncle, why was he kidnapping kids? (laughs) never okay. I guess it's good that, I mean, it sounds like it was probably something to do with racism, honestly. Kidnapping a native baby and bringing it into a family, probably, what is that called? Erasure? Uh, It's probably not the right term. Trying to wipe out native tribes, that's kind of what it sounds like to me, but I guess it's at least, well, I don't know. At least the kid wasn't murdered and kidnapped. Awful that it was separated from its family, but I guess it's good that it eventually was able to go back and meet his family. That's good. (laughs) Trying to find the positives in there. And then the last one that I'm going to read from this thread is, uh, okay, here it goes. My dad is married to his biological first cousin that he used to raise help from infants. What? Hold on. 
My dad is married to his biological first cousin that he used to help raise from infancy. Oh, okay. So he's married to his cousin that he also helped raise? Yikes. Okay, it goes on. Their parents were brother and sister. What? Oh, God. Okay. I'm, I'm putting together the family tree now. Which makes my stepmother also a cousin and her brothers my cousins too, while also being my uncles. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, hold on. I'm going to read that one more time with no interruptions. My dad is married to his biological first cousin that he used to help raise from infancy. Their parents were brother and sister, which makes my stepmother also a cousin and her brothers, my cousins too, while also being my uncles. It's a closely held family secret. Yeah, I can understand why. Incest is not something that carries well over a friendship conversation at dinner. You know, you're going out to, I don't know, the Olive Garden <laughs> or whatever. You're going out to food with your friends and you're like, you know what? It's crazy. My my uncle, who's actually was, is married to my cousin and he helped raise her, but then also their parents were brother and sister. So my genetics are messed up. Anyways, how's your day? <laughs> that conversation doesn't happen. It doesn't seem super likely. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. So moral of the story, Reddit is the best. Um, I think my name on Reddit is Scandal 101 Podcast if you want to look at my questions on there and answer them. But yeah, that is it for this episode. Um, if you want to keep up on social media, Instagram at Scandal 101 Podcast, Twitter, Scandal 101 Pod, Facebook, search Scandal 101 Podcast, you'll find us on there. The website is Scandal101Podcast.podbean.com and that's where you'll find the link to the show notes with all of the sources. If you have your own scandal you want read on the podcast, send it to Scandal101Podcast at gmail.com or you can find me on reddit and put it there because i will probably read them as well thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode i hope that if you are going to celebrate halloween you have a fun costume picked out you are ready to have a good time and most importantly that you stay safe thanks so much for listening this has been episode 23 of scandal 101